Good morning, my church. I miss you. My name is uh, Ryan T. Epp, as I've already been introduced, and I, together with my wife, Terry, we work for our MB Global Mission Agency called Multiply. The last time I spoke to you uh, in a broad format like this, I had sent in uh, about a 12-minute little uh, encouragement sermon uh, that got played last, uh, last spring, summer, somewhere in there. And, and the biggest feedback I heard from that was that it was, it was, it was really good, a lot of fo- positive feedback, but that it was, it was good and short. So, uh, so prepare to be disappointed today. I prepared a little bit more today. Um, but yeah, like I said, I work together uh, with my wife for Multiply working together with churches all over the world so that Jesus would be made known more and more. We work locally for Multiply, and we coordinate things like Source Saskatchewan, as many of you know, uh, which we're excited for the potential of having a far more in-person SOAR in February 2022 than we were able to have last year because of the many restrictions. But that being said, and many of you know this already, but it was amazing uh, this past SOAR, because of so many things online, to be able to include some international participants, as you likely have heard. Uh, we had a team from Panama join us for this past SOAR, as well as a team from Colombia. And both of these teams had considerable connection to this church and continue to have connection with us. And it is so encouraging for Terry and I to be in a mission role uh, in this province and connecting this province uh, to, to all sorts of different parts of the world. And we, I wouldn't want to start off a sermon without being, uh, just expressing my thanks uh, for Terry and I for your, your incredible support to us as a couple as we work in this role. Uh, many of you pray for us and financially support us, so thank you. And allow me to just do a couple other close-to-home multiply updates uh, we're sending Laverne Pratt. She goes to the Broadway congregation. Uh, we're sending her to be a long-term missionary in Panama this fall. And so she will be sent as soon as her financial support is there. And she continues to add people to her prayer team as well. And so if you want to pick up her prayer card in the foyer um, at, a, at a future date or go to multiply.net and support her uh, financially online, that would be awesome. And uh, really fresh news, we are adding Leanna Penner to the Saskatchewan team uh, for Multiply. She's going to join us in a local um, capacity uh, part-time. And Terry and I are really excited to be uh, working with her soon. And we will make it known to you how you can support her in the coming weeks as well. So lots of, lots of great developments on the horizon. Su- super, super thankful. But getting back to here, our church... This whole past season, for me and for many of you, it's been a really complicated year to feel truly connected to this this incredibly large body of believers we have here at Forest Grove. And there may be the the odd point of personal contact through through the past season, but mostly signing on to Sunday service live stream and, and getting the email updates has left us wanting. Terry and I haven't been a part of a small group here at Forest Grove for a few years, and 
And so it made it even harder to feel connected to this body of believers. I'm happy to say that we did join a four-week small group a few months ago. And even meeting consistently for those four weeks with the same group of people, although it was online for those four weeks, was so refreshing for both Terry and I. And, and even better that just last week we got together with that same group in somebody's backyard. And most of us from that group plan to, to continue in that small group into the fall. So lots to be thankful for there too, even out of, out of a hard year. Uh, these past few weeks we have been able to be back in the building, uh, but I have to uh, admit, uh, I don't know if you've been looking around for me, but most of the last few weeks I have been actually a guest speaker in a different church, um, and, and one of those weeks I was actually at the lake with my family, uh, visiting friends and enjoying some summer activities in Saskatchewan. And even mentioning just enjoying the summer in Saskatchewan uh, makes me think of the drought that our, our province is experiencing. Uh, particularly because I've been speaking in some rural churches this summer where almost everyone in the congregation is very connected to the weather and, and what's happening in the land. And, and so that's why it's been on my mind. Um, fields are just getting scorched in this heat in our province with little to no rain. And farmers uh, in the Waltime area where my wife is from, they're already combining because crops are finished growing, so it's better to cut them down than to let them continue to get wilted away in the heat. Which, which actually has some direct connections to, to, to today's scripture. Not exactly the same scenario, but some connection. So today, we are looking at another farming parable. One that doesn't get talked about nearly as much, it seems, as the parable of the sower that Chan preached on, Chan preached on last week. But this parable is recorded just barely after the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. It's called The Wheat and the Weeds. And uh, Steve did an awesome job of reading for that for us just a few moments ago. So what are all the components we have in this story as a recap? Okay, we have, we have a farmer. We have, we have some good seed. We have a field. We have an enemy and some bad seed. And then we have some farmhands, and, and, and they have a question for the farmer. And, and then ultimately in the parable, we have the farmer's wisdom and authority as he describes the harvest that is coming. Well, if you are wondering what any of these components are, you really don't have to wait for me to tell you. Uh, this is one of those parables that right in the pages of Scripture, Jesus himself gives us the full explanation And so that is where I would like to start so that we stay grounded on what Jesus intended this parable to mean. Um, But then then as I've been praying and researching this parable, as any uh, any good preacher, any any person that would speak to a a body of believers does, uh, I would also like to, to point our attention to a few things Jesus has been bringing to my attention within this parable, and share with you a couple applications as well. And so in chapter, yeah, Matthew chapter 13, starting in 36, I'm going to read uh, this parable explained. So Jesus says, all right, 
I, the son of man, am the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are separated out and burned, so it will be at the end of the world. I, the Son of Man, will send my angels, and they will remove from my kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into the furnace and burn them. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the godly will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. Okay, so let's just recap that quick again. Farmer is the son of man, Jesus himself. Good seed, which turns out to be the wheat, are people of God's kingdom, Christians or followers of Jesus. Field is the world. The enemy is the devil, as Jesus says. The bad seed are people who belong to the enemy. People who did not follow Jesus. Harvesters, the farmhands, they're the angels. And the harvest, that's the end of the world. Okay? So fairly straightforward. And the same with any parable we hear or read through. We start to place ourselves into the story. Um, Many of the other people that have been talking through these parables have talked about this, right? In this one, we don't want to get burned. I, I think that's pretty obvious. We don't want to get thrown into the fire at the end of the world. We want to be the wheat. And with a biblically formed worldview, this is what we, we hold to as a church and as, as believers across the world in Jesus. We need to submit our lives to Jesus and accept the gift he has given us in his death for our brokenness and defeat of death in his resurrection and life. And I, I love it when this happens. The, the worship team didn't know that I was going to quote directly from John 3.16, and yet we sang the first song that comes straight from the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not die, will not be thrown into the fire, but will live forever with the Savior Jesus. If you haven't done that, if you haven't professed belief in Jesus, maybe today's your day. He loves you so much that he died for you, that you would not have to be sorted out with the weeds and burned, but so that you would be righteous right before God, your maker, and shine like the sun with no shadow of brokenness any longer attached to you. What a picture. What a hope. What an incredible truth. That is the straightforward takeaway from this parable. But as, as Don mentioned, I have been going to this church before I was born. Um, my mom was, was pregnant with me as she was a youth leader at this church, and I've been a part of this church my whole life. And if you have been a believer for any amount of time, as I have been, 
then that takeaway is almost too easy, which is actually such a shame. It's almost like we take it for granted, even though it's the most beautiful truth that our brains could possibly try to understand. Jesus died for you and made you right before your creator. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, like a lot of the listeners of Jesus when he originally told this parable, then I think the takeaway becomes harder to see, harder to live. And again, that has been talked about many times in this series of parables. That's kind of Jesus' point in telling the parables, that you actually have to read between some lines to get some of what he's saying. When I was researching other sermons on this text, I was, I was surprised, but not really surprised, with how many articles and papers that have been written to completely militarize this parable. Now, it is really easy to polarize a room or a congregation with some of these examples. Uh, but the, so the only one I'm going to mention, and, and even this one might get me in trouble, but I, I read an, in, I didn't read the whole thing, but I, I, I browsed through an entire, an, an entire sermon that was making the point that Trump was the wheat and Biden was the weeds. Republicans versus Democrats, wheat and weeds. And so many others that just pitted two certain types of people against each other. Now please follow me on this. In the parable, there are wheat and weeds. And the farmhands, who we know because Jesus told us in his explanation, are angels. Okay? So the angels are concerned when they see the weeds coming up. And they come before God and they say, let us, let us get rid of the weeds, God. Let us get rid of them, Jesus. And Jesus' response to them, angels, not even humans, angels, is no. Not at this point. Angels, you can't properly detect the weeds. And you'll end up pulling some good wheat. You need to wait until I make the call at the end. If, as believers, our only takeaway is that we are good to go because we know Jesus and everyone else or everyone that doesn't know Jesus is a weed, then we are completely missing one of the key lessons here. Only Jesus can detect who is who. John 3.16 shows us what we need to do to come to Jesus. It is through him we become wheat. And thanks to his grace of making us wheat, it is our primary mission to bear good fruit, to become, to become that head of wheat that is full of juicy grains. What is the line from last week's parable of the sower? Producing a crop that is 30, 60, and 100 fold. 100 times what has been planted. I don't have any, I don't have any slides with this sermon, and I actually was planning on bringing uh, a, a shirt a Source Saskatchewan shirt to show you at this point of the sermon, and I, I totally forgot it last minute. But our Source Saskatchewan logo just says Source Sask, and underneath has, has a wheat sheaf logo. As, as, I mean, we're all, a lot of us anyways are from Saskatchewan. We, there's so many logos of wheat sheafs out there. And, and I have a friend of mine who's, who's an agronomist, 
and she, she, saw, she saw the logo just after I had made it. And it, it has like eight or nine like full like kernels of wheat in, in the sheaf. And she, she said, you know, as an agronomist, like that is a really unhealthy head of wheat. Because a healthy, a healthy head of wheat has, has anywhere from like 20 to 30 or even 40 individual grains at, at its head. And in researching this parable, one of the first things that comes up again and again is that the weeds in this parable are most likely referring to false wheat. Not just any old big green weed, like a thistle, but a weed that looks incredibly similar to wheat, especially when it's young. And when wheat and, and this other tall grass grow side by side, it can be quite hard to tell them apart. Until the wheat starts producing heads full of big grains. Then it becomes quite easy to tell them apart. You can't make flour out of a lot of these tall decorative grasses. But wheat you can. It's com- all these other grasses and weeds that, that look a little bit like wheat in their early stages, they're completely useless. And in the case of the parable only take away from the total harvest in a farmer's field. So if God, in his infinite wisdom, instructs the workers to wait until the end, then is it really our job to try and constantly be discerning wheat from weeds at all? Shouldn't we be more concerned about being fruit-bearing wheat ourselves than about how bad or off-base someone else is? A phrase comes to mind uh, that when you point your finger at someone, three fingers are actually pointing back at you. I think that connects to this reality a little bit. And allow me to delve a little deeper into this parable but to, and to still use it as a framework, but to talk about it a little bit on, on the personal side of things. Something we all experience, whether we believe in Jesus or not. Each of our lives has good seed. That's the seeds that Jesus has planted in each of us. Each of our own lives have seeds also that the enemy of God has put there too. And from the parable, he puts them there secretly. Not just out in the open, but in the parable he does it at night. When nobody's looking. And it is only God who can help us identify which is which. And some of that work only happens over time. Many of you know that I've been very connected to Panama over the years. The most time I ever spent there was an entire school year. The year out of, my first year out of high school. I became immersed in the culture there that year. I was on the Trek program with Multiply. I was learning Spanish and happily accepting any and every adventure into the Waunan culture. There was crab hunting, iguana hunting, alligator hunting. There, were, there was learning how to collect the best mangoes. Oh wait, no, we just had two mangoes in, mango trees in our yard, and 
what do you do when you have a thousand and a half mangoes that are dropping over the span of two weeks? We just threw them over to the, the cows across, across from our, our yard. But learning how to collect avocados, that's quite the process in Waunan, in, in Waunan practices. Collecting rice, corn, and other fruit from various fruit trees. There was constantly learning new Waunan phrases as well as learning the Spanish language that got me, got me by uh, with everyone down there. And so many experiences. It was just incredible year, full to the brim of experiences as I became close friends to so many from this beautiful culture and people group. All with the banner of being on missions and desiring for God to use me in whatever way he wanted to. I still say that that was one of the most influential years of my entire life. It was a year of incredible fruitfulness all around me and certainly in my own heart and faith. So now that I've painted that picture, it was a few years later on an extended trip to Panama, just on my own, that I tried to connect with a number of people when I got down there and, and nothing was really working out. And so I spent, a, I spent actually several days at Aner and Herlesa's house, the missionaries there. And they weren't even there. They were out on some, on some trip of their own when I first got there and I was just alone at their house for many days in a row. And on, on about the third day of just sitting around, unable unable to make any exciting plans, I came to God in prayer and I asked him why I was so bitter in what I called my favorite place on earth. And I didn't hear anything audibly or, or even have any specific picture come to mind. But I remember slowly as I started asking God that question that day in prayer, God answering my prayer by showing me how selfish I had become on that particular trip. All I wanted was my next sweet experience in Panama. It was all about me. You see, in this amazing place of ministry, place where there's just incredible church growth happening, and, and even for myself, it's a place of a lot of personal revelation. Seeds that God had sown around me and in me, good seeds, there's so many of them. And yet at night, in ways that I don't even fully understand or, or fully know when they embedded themselves, the enemy was also sowing seeds. Seeds of selfishness, of personal gain, of feeling important and liking being the center of attention. But even though all that bad seed had been sown, I needed to come to Jesus in my heart for him to reveal those things to me. And that day and over the next few days, I had to ask him to remove those bad seeds. And I was completely reliant on him for a continued good harvest. You know, it, it was a couple years after my time in Panama that I got to know someone who is really big on, on God being sovereign and he'll even talk about how some are chosen to come to him and some are not. Not really any different than the ending of this parable. 
But as I got to know this particular friend and got to hear his viewpoint over and over, it came to bother me how much he trusted in God's sovereignty and divine choice. One time I asked him how his view could even, how with his view he could even be motivated to, to tell anyone about Jesus or to disciple anyone around him. All I could see was that he believed that some people would be harvested as wheat and some people would be thrown into the fire. And that was just how it was. And he answered me when I asked him that question of, of how, how he could hold that view and still be motivated to be on mission in any way. He said, because, Ryan, only God knows which is which. It is our job to be faithful to share the grace that he's given us. And when we do that, God takes us and he multiplies us. If you already believe in Jesus, God has given you incredible grace. He has allowed you to be identified as that good seed that he himself planted to produce a good crop in your own life and in those around you. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 if you want some more tangible examples of what that good crop should look like. It's the Sermon on the Mount. There's also an enemy. Despite all that good fruit, there's also an enemy that as discreetly as he can, he's sowing his own seeds. And those seeds will not make the cut at the final harvest. But that's not our call. That's actually Jesus' call. Just like for any revealing of weeds in our own life or our own heart, we can't rely on our own eyes or senses to perceive what they are, although we do often feel the effects of them. We need God to reveal our own hearts to us. As I give you a final thought, I'm just going to call the worship team up here behind me. But I touched on it earlier. That Jesus' explanation of this parable ends on an incredible high note that stands as our hope as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus. Once God separates the wheat from the weeds, and only he can truly do so. Only he's going to give the final word to his workers to start that process. When he does that, then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Amen to that. And may God continue to call you to be righteous, for you to be right before him and before those around you in the power of Jesus. Thanks.